Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 3. I encourage you, if you have your own Bibles, please turn there at this time. It is also printed in our worship folder for tonight. Uh, Acts chapter 3, we are going to focus on verses 11 through 26. Uh, But for our reading this evening, I'm going to start at verse 1, just so it sets this in context, so you won't have that printed for you, but you will be able to pick up the reading at verse 11. From Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And now our text for tonight. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue tonight in our study of the book of Acts, and we have seen that Acts gives us uh, a glimpse into what the early New Testament church looked like. Uh, we have also seen that Acts contains some of the most beautiful sermons given to us in Scripture. And by studying these sermons, we get, again, a glimpse, a window into what biblical preaching should look like. We saw that when we looked at the, at the, at the sermon after the Pentecost event, preaching that converts. When they heard the preaching, they said, what must we do to be saved? And many were converted by the power of the Word of God. Tonight we look once again at a sermon given to us in the book of Acts, a sermon that also follows a miraculous event, the healing of the lame man that we talked about last week. And we see that the focus of this sermon is to point to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It is in His name, by faith in His name, that this man was made well, preaching that exalts Christ. And we notice somewhat, I guess by introduction, somewhat in passing, uh, preaching that exalts Christ does not exalt man. They had seen what took place. We read in verse 11, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly amazed, ran together to them in the portico. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Peter will have nothing of praise given to him for what has taken place. He says, it's not my power. It's not my piety. He will point away from himself and point to Jesus Christ, to his name. And that always has to be our focus as well. The focus of the message is not on the one bringing it, but on the content of the message. The, the focus of the message, Jesus Christ, preaching that exalts Christ. And that's what we're gonna look at this evening. We're gonna look at uh, three things regarding preaching that exalts Christ. We will see, first of all, that uh, preaching which exalts Christ is rooted in the Old Testament. Preaching that exalts Christ acknowledges our own sin. And preaching which exalts Christ fulfills the prophecies of the Messiah. Preaching that exalts Christ is rooted in the Old Testament. When, uh, when they come to them and want to give them praise, 
Peter says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? It's not our power, it's not our piety. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Takes them back to these Old Testament references to God. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. The God who was there at the captivity. The God who was there in their deliverance. The God who was there to establish the monarchy. That Old Testament God, the God of our fathers, is the one who was active. And what was he active in? He was active in glorifying his servant Jesus. Preaching that exalts Christ is rooted in the Old Testament. He says he glorified his servant, Jesus. Maybe that doesn't strike us um, so particularly, but it certainly would have struck them. When they heard about this, this servant of God, their minds would have gone back to the Old Testament. And the description of God who would send his servant, who would send his suffering servant. We read of that back in the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 52, where the prophet says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred by human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The servant of God, the suffering servant, now glorified by God the Father. I will use my servant, my servant Jesus. He's later described in verse 14. They say, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one. This holy and righteous one references again to God's anointed, God's chosen, God's Messiah, the one who would be exalted. Peter says to them, you rejected him. Beyond rejecting him, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead of him. 
Rather than receiving this holy one, this righteous one, this anointed one, you chose to have a murderer released. He says, and you killed the author of life. Jesus Christ, the author of life. Again, reaching back into the Old Testament. We know that creation was the work of God the Father, but He created through the Word, through the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was there at creation. That powerful Word. The author of life. And you killed Him. Peter says, And yet God raised him from the dead, and to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of all of you. You killed him, but God raised him up. And he is now that exalted son, that exalted servant, that exalted Christ. And through power in his name, he also can heal and can cure. He he uses this sermon again to explain what's going on, just like in Pentecost. What's going on? And Peter explains. Once again here, they'd seen a miraculous work. Didn't know how to process it. This is what's going on. It's an expression of the power of Jesus Christ the servant of God, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the one you killed. As they hear this word, Peter will go on, verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. Peter is a forthright, but a compassionate preacher. You killed the author of life. But I know, brothers, you acted in ignorance. Perhaps you were swept along with the crowd. You acted in accord with your rulers. But now, now you know the truth. That's the contrast being made here. Brothers, before... When you did this, you acted ignorantly. But now, I'm telling you, and you have seen the power of that Jesus Christ. Now you are called to acknowledge Him. To acknowledge what you have done to confess your sin as the ones who killed Him. And now embrace Him as God's anointed. Verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This was part of God's plan. And you might expect them to say, you might expect to hear Peter say, look, this was part of God's plan, so you were just doing what God wanted. You were just doing what God had planned already. It's not your fault. Peter says, you are still responsible. Yes, you were doing what God had ordained, but you are still responsible for this sin. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent. Yes, God was in control, but that does not excuse them for their actions. 
We may never blame God for our sinful actions. God's not the author of sin. They were simply following the sinful desires of their hearts. Repent, Peter says. Acknowledge. Turn away. Turn away from your sins that they may be blotted out. What wonderful news that must have been to them. Think of these indictments. He was God's anointed servant. He was the holy and righteous one. He was the author of life, and you killed him. It'd be easy for them to think, well, we are lost. There is no hope. This righteous one, this holy one, this chosen one, this anointed servant, we killed. There's no hope for us. Here again, we see the glory of the grace of God, the magnificence of His mercy. If they would repent, if they would turn their sins, the sin of killing the author of life, would be blotted out. What a wonderful comfort that is for us. It is easy for us to think, well, we know God forgives sins. He'll, he'll forgive somebody else's sins, but my sins, my sins are too big. I've, I've done things in my life I, I just know God could never forgive me for. They killed Jesus Christ. And yet if they would turn, if they would repent, they too would be forgiven. I take wonderful solace and comfort in that call of the gospel that in spite of the greatness of our sin, whatever we might have done in our youth or even this past week, whatever sins we have committed may be forgiven. We are washed. We are cleansed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. Well, 19. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. Refreshment and assurance. Once again, resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not needing to continue to beat ourselves up, resting and being refreshed. That's the call of the gospel once again this evening. Whatever you have done, Whatever sin you have committed, when we turn, when we confess, when we repent, when we say, Jesus Christ, forgive me, He is faithful to do exactly that. And He is exalted. Preaching that exalts Christ confesses our sin, acknowledges our sin, and knows that He is the forgiver of our sins. Preaching that exalts Christ fulfills the prophecies of the Messiah. Look at verse 22. Moses said, 
The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Listen to him in whatever he tells you. Moses was a prophet of God, but he says there will be a greater prophet coming. Moses points past himself to that chief prophet and teacher. Moses points forward to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect prophet who speaks the word of God to his people. Jesus fulfills that Old Testament expectation of God's anointed prophet, the greater Moses who would come, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen to him, Peter says. Listen to this one, more powerful than the words of Moses, more powerful because he is the final prophet. He is the Messiah, God's chosen. Peter goes on, verse 24, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel... And those who came after him also proclaimed these days. He names Samuel. All the prophets, including Samuel. Why name Samuel? We know that Samuel was a prophet. Probably best known, although not for a prophetic work. Samuel was one who anointed King David. And we have in David the the heyday of the monarchy. David, the greatest king of all times. David, that, that one who was the golden age for God's people. Samuel is referenced, but actually points to his work in anointing King David. Pointing again to David, but past him pointing forward to the kingship of the Messiah, to the kingship of Jesus Christ, the one who had just recently ascended to the throne. He had gone from earth to heaven. Again, not just a change of geography, but ascending to the throne, and who is now sitting and ruling and reigning, and in whose name, and by the power of his name, this lame man was healed. A a reference to the kingship of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one as king who, who protects his people, who guards his people, who leads his people. The one who is still reigning over us. The one who is still ruling and reigning from heaven. Jesus has not left his holy throne. He has not abdicated his kingship. We see things going on in the world around us, but Jesus Christ still is on the throne, reigning as king, the eternal king, God's anointed Messiah. Look at verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Where does that quote come from, children? That quote comes from the story of when Abraham was asked to offer up his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. The reference to Abraham and this quotation, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, is a reference to a time of sacrifice. 
The sacrifice was the work of the priest. The one who would offer sacrifices again and again and again for the people of God. But as with the prophetic Moses looked forward to Christ, the great King David looked forward to Christ, the work of the priest in offering sacrifices also looks forward to Christ. The one who would come to be the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice for sins. This again makes us think of Christ's Christ's priestly role. Not, Not offering the blood of goats and bulls, which never took any sins away, Hebrews tells us, but the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice, as he gave up his own blood for the sins of the people. Preaching that exalts Christ, recognizes him as Messiah, as prophet, as priest, and as king. Recognizes the perfection of his work, the power in his work. It is in his name, his powerful name, his prophetic name, his kingly name, his priestly name, that this healing could take place. And he continues to do his work even today. Beyond healing a lame man, one who is able to forgive us of all of our sins. And so once again tonight, we are called to exalt Jesus Christ, to exalt him by recognizing who he is and what he has done, that he is the one who calls us to faith and repentance, to turn from our sinful ways, and and through the power of his finished work through that perfect prophet, priest, and king to know that God is active in our lives. And we are now called to to live in a way that's pleasing to him. How does Peter conclude this sermon? Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. God sent him to bless us that we might turn from our wickedness and walk in his holy ways. Oh, my prayer is tonight that not only our preaching, but our lives are that which exalt Jesus Christ, Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word, a faithful record of what you have done throughout history. Thank you, O God, for giving us these sermons in the New Testament. Preaching that converts and preaching that exalts your Son, Jesus Christ. That perfect suffering servant spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. That great king ruling over all creation. That final sacrifice for sin. Oh, Lord God, we praise you for what you have done in the work of your Son. May we, in our lives, always seek to exalt him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.